episode number 23. I don't think we're going to have much of a debate on this, but we'll go through it. But I'm glad to see you. Where the he- I was hoping for a patrons-only episode after the, th- the stirring mm-hmm. come-from-behind victory Ooh. for your beloved Washington right. Huskies in Pullman over the weekend. Not a, not a chirp from you. Down 14. Where were you? What happened? You're supposed to be taking a li- You couldn't do the patrons-only episode because you had to go straight from the arena right Correct. to the plane. No, 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 no. Let's, let's ref- rephrase that. I could have done that. But somebody whose name is on this product yeah. would not allow me to call from a cell phone. No, that's not true. No, that's true. I was ready to do it from a cell phone. You on are Saturday such night. On Saturday night's patron because you had no whatever. You had, you had no you, choice. Listen, I want everyone who listens to this podcast and who listened to episode twenty two yeah. or twenty one or yeah. a patron episode. Yeah. I told you I was going to have a tough time doing a patron-only episode. And I heard you. And you heard have you never, ever, ever said to me, ever. No. Yeah. You're right. Call me from a cell phone. Right. I was prepared to do it on, just because it was patrons-only. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It's not like I'm oh, saying- Oh, no, no, no. Time out. Time out. <laughs> beep. Beep. No. Beep. I just don't want you to This get the is wrong how idea. you did me, the, the backup tweet. We'll get, we'll, oh, we're going to get to that. Okay, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're going to get to that. Oh, oh we yes, we are. time. I just want to make sure, is everything okay? I was willing, yeah. under that, those set of circumstances, I was willing to do a patrons-only deal for five or ten minutes just to get your thoughts on that comeback. What ha- and then you, then you send me a text today saying you didn't, even, you didn't even go out. You probably went to a hotel last night. You could have called from the hotel, right? Well, I was expecting that because of our arrangement that typically I call from a hard line, right? Yes. I didn't get to a hard line until almost midnight, and so I couldn't have called you until almost midnight and I just was tired and just didn't, okay. didn't so, do that. So at the end of the day, you could I, have called. At midnight? Yeah. What kind of human being are you? <laughs> like, I, 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 didn't expect, I didn't expect you. I'm up. Vampire one, two, three. <laughs> I, didn't ex- I, didn't, I didn't expect you to be up at that time uh, to call you at midnight to right, say, hey, so let's you, get So your done. plane was canceled. Plane, so yeah. Are we? Is this the show? What are we doing? No, no. What, what are we the doing? Tease. All right, the tease is. Goodness this gracious. is episode twenty-three. Michael Jordan. Maybe we have to. <laughs> we, this is a maybe. This, we got. We got to take him oh through the gosh. court of justice. There's okay. still justice here. All right. We'll we'll get to that here in a moment. Right. Episode twenty-three. Yes. Three guests. Uh huh. Two of which you may know of. One of which you may know oh, of, but no one else does. Come on, you know. Uh, Brackettville. We're going to Brackettville. Dave Amon on. Where are the Huskies? Mm-hmm. How far could they go if they win out? Mm-hmm. How much trouble are they in if they lose two or three? Everything you want to know about the Pac-12. Everything you want to know about Gonzaga, Kentucky, and Tennessee, and high risers and free fallers. Dave Amon in Brackettville with four weeks to go Whew. before Selection Sunday. There was a piece in the Bay Area written about the disaster that is the Pac-12 networks. It's just been a flat-out flop failure mess since the beginning. Everything that they promised the Pac-12 schools it was going to deliver, it hasn't. So John Wilner did a, an investigative piece on the Pac-12 networks. We're going to discuss that piece with him and why all the mistakes that they've made and why it's been such a big flop. And is there any chance that it will improve and gain momentum as they go along? Also... 
I'm assuming that episode 23 is going to be named after a certain basketball player who once played for a few years with the Chicago Bulls, and he's out of the University of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. In anticipation of that, I thought something. I tried try something different on the podcast. Oh, I have a friend, a longtime friend, a 25 year friend, mm-hmm. who was called upon. He'll tell the story, but he was called upon to host Michael Jordan in between games two and three of the 1996 NBA Finals. Yes. And I want him to tell the story. I thought it would be interesting to people of the Northwest, sports fans in the Northwest, to know. So they won game two, I believe, on a Sunday night in mm-hmm. Chicago, Chicago to go up to nothing. Yes. They flew to Seattle. They got to Seattle. And then they had Monday and Tuesday off before the Wednesday game three. What did Michael Jordan do for those 48 hours? It's a great story. It's going to be told to you directly from the guy who hosted him, who happens to be your dear friend of mine. So that's going to be on today's episode number 23. Uh, Available everywhere like Apple iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us. Give us five stars on iTunes. Become a patron. Mm. Patrons were sorely disappointed over the weekend with your disappearing act. But I think that they'll get over it. Uh, Become a patron for as little as $5 per month and have access to all the bonus content available. I did an interview with John Hawkins, golf writer for the last 20 some odd years on the Matt Kuchar controversy. I'm not sure if you're aware of the Matt Kuchar. We're going to talk about that, I'm sure. Oh, yes, we are. Uh, If you're newish to the podcast, we ask you to go back through the first 22 episodes and just click play and listen for even a short time. It'll help us sustain the health and longevity of Mitch Unfiltered. MitchUnfiltered.com. You can go right there. March 19th, Unfiltered March Madness at Daniel's Bellevue sold out. We are looking for some ways to add some seating, believe it or not. I don't know if we're going to be able to do so, but as soon as I hear... We will give first dibs to the extra seats uh, to the patrons and then release the spots to everybody who's listening. Yes, now, sir. This, this isn't going to be like the Super Bowl at, at Jerry World where the, we added seats and the, the seats weren't quite up to snuff. No, the, no these, these are <laughs> the Lindsey Schwartz and the Schwartz family and everybody's yeah. there. We got legit seats. We got legit seats. Okay, okay. They'll be padded. Okay. They'll be padded. You don't have to sit on like bleachers. what we're sitting on yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> what yes. you're sitting on right now. Okay. Uh, all brought to you by Zeke's Pizza. Looking for great pizza, an amazing assortment of craft beer, all while watching sports in a friendly environment. Try one of the 16 locations of Zeke's Pizza. Daniels, Daniels, Daniels. If you missed her uh, on Valentine's Day, there's all kinds of great opportunities. Celebrate an anniversary, a special occasion at Daniels Broiler. Evergreen Golf Call, managing over $2 billion in assets, four offices on the West Coast. Evergreen is the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. And Jaguar Land Rover, snowy conditions, no problem. Safety is Land Rover's middle name. Check out the Range Rovers, the Range Rover Sports, Falars, Discoveries, and the Evoke 2 at Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. It's okay to have a game plan going in, but when you're so stubborn and unwilling to get away from it because the other team is essentially daring you to do so, then we get into stupidity. Unfiltered. Guess that's what really kind of infuriates me, that we go to the offseason after a game that the quarterback was really not given a chance to win the football game for you. That's a quarterback who's the face of the organization. 
That's a quarterback who, as I say, in a couple of years or in a year, they're going to give, I don't know, $25, $30 million a year to. And yet it just feels to me like they took the ball out of his hands. Mitch is unfiltered. Yep, it's episode number 23, along with the head of the Matt Kuchar defense team. Matt Kuchar is the president of the Matt Kuchar fan club, the vice president of the thattipwasplenty.com. Here he is, my friend Jason D. Hamilton. He's going to right now tell us why we're all wrong, we're all we're all absolutely all wet on the Matt Kuchar situation. I'm going to rephrase what I said to you on Twitter. Okay. Mitch, you do you're that. an idiot. An <laughs> that doesn't ab- sound like a rephrase. An absolute <laughs> idiot. Why? Because you completely took my tweet out of context and ran with it. Oh. Because you know what you are? Oh, you're a guy that does that. <laughs> That's what you are. You're a guy that oh, does that. Oh, I did, huh? Yes. I misread it? Absolutely. Oh, okay. You want to explain to me what you, how you felt? For sure. Sure. There's two parts to the equation. No, there's one part. There's uh, you're two already wrong. Parts to the <laughs> equation. One part. Okay. <laughs> See how you're already telling me I'm wrong? There's two parts to the equation. Okay. There was the deal. Yeah. And the part where Matt Kuchar should have known once he won, he needed to change the deal. Okay. That's it. Well, tell me. What 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 do you mean? What, tell what, you. You know exactly what I mean. I, I know what you Why mean. Why don't you but, set okay. it up? Set it up. What, I, set I, it up, Mister Radio up. Host Guy. What do you want me to set up? Set Everybody up. knows by no, now they the don't. story. No, they don't. He made a deal with the guy who's not his regular caddy. He's a He's local three, caddy. He's a local at caddy. Mayakoba. Right. right. Have you been to Mayakoba? I was actually not, there with I'm my not, wife. I, ooh, 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 I was. I was. Did you pay your caddy? I was. I didn't even play golf. I had an anniversary there. Uh, no, I've never been to Fair, Mayakoba. Fairmont Mayakoba. And he made a deal for a few thousand dollars. Yes. And after he won unexpectedly, um, Matt Kuchar decided to give him five grand total, I think. And then he flew out. Oh, my gosh. You're Am I not sharing the right? story? All right. So you tell the story. Well, then you're, to me, there's only one part of the story that matters. You're throwing opinions there's out. You don't even know what the hell you're talking there's about. There's only one part of the story that matters okay, to me. I will tell you what the story is. There's four parts. <laughs> You just said there's two parts. Well, there's four parts to the payment. Four parts to the payment. Okay. Two parts to the story. None of which, by the way, as you can tell, is relevant to me. Clearly, you're trying to fast forward. Uh, Of course. Of course. To me, there's only one part that's relevant. So. That's the final line. You have the, hey, if I do X, it's a thousand bucks. It's two thousand bucks. It's three thousand bucks. If I'm top 10, it's four thousand bucks. That was the deal. Right. Right. So, Matt Kuchar goes on and wins. Yes, he did. So, that's top 10, obviously. Yeah, right. Which would have been 4000 bucks. He decided to give him an extra $1,000 for a total of $5,000. Now, this is a local caddy who is a daily guy at Mayakoba, right? Understand it? It happens a lot of places. You know this. Local caddies substitute in at times. On the professional tour, it happens when the normal when the normal caddy doesn't make the trip. Yeah, for whatever reason. for whatever reason, I distance. Got it. I got it. Right. Okay. If Matt Kuchar doesn't make the cut and the guy gets paid two grand, this is not a story. Period. 
It's not a story. Okay. You're agreeing. You're agreeing with that. If he pays him, I no, think no. it was 3000 No. He's going to pay him 3000 regardless, No, right? no. Oh, if he misses no. the cut, it's two? There was a tiered deal. Yeah, it's not a story. It's not a story. Not a story. It only became a story. If Matt Kuchar yes. gets second place, yes. it's not a story. It's not a story. You're, you're agreeing with me. I'm agreeing with you. When Matt Kuchar won, which would have been a top 10, which would have paid the caddy $4,000 according to their agreement, a top 10 would have paid him 4000 total. Right. Right? Right. Matt Kuchar decided to pay him after winning $1.2 million. Right. $1,000. That's, that's right. That's where he messed up. I don't disagree with that. Neither do I, but yet you put me on blast on Twitter. Jerk. I didn't put you on blast. Jerk. I, I, if the, uh, jerk. What, what were you? You, you jerk. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> the, the, there's only one part of the story that matters to anybody. Which is what? Which is... That Matt Kuchar yes. thought it was okay yes. with with a deal or no deal. I don't care whether there was no deal. I don't care whether they had a a, a, a signed written agreement. Yeah. The fact that Matt Kuchar thought it was okay to get on his private plane oh. after making one point three oh, million dollars. Now you're going there. I'm just gonna. I'm just. You're so, go, you're you going tell me all when I say. Way. You tell me when I say anything that's untrue. I know, but you're okay? going all the way. It's there. very simple because. What you're remember, you're saying it's not a story if he finished second. Let's let's talk about that for a second. Okay. If he finishes second, let's say it's six hundred let's say it's sure. six hundred grand. Okay. Sure. A typical caddy at six hundred grand. He's not a typical caddy, but go ahead. I'm just asking, what would a typical caddy? I don't think that they don't get a regular They don't guy, get ten percent. They get what is right. Wood, the guy that's his guy get? What does he get at, at number two? It's not a it's not a huge it's not the huge drastic difference. For me, Matt Kuchar, the tenth winningest guy in the history of the PJ Tour, having earned more than forty-seven million on the course, mm -hmm. and God knows how sure. much off the course, of who just won one point three million dollars, who also will take that and he'll make a little bit more off the course in appearance money, whatever, because he's now a winner again. Yeah. It'll get him into tournaments that he yeah. wouldn't exemption he, he, sponsor the, stuff. The, the, all the that. Sony one in Hawaii, not the Sony one, the yeah, tournament champions, of champions in Hawaii. Yeah. He now can play in that because. Uh, he he's going to prosper from that win, probably between one point six and two million dollars all in. Okay, the fact that he and I I get it. This is very simple because at the end of the day he did the right thing. At the end of the day he did the right thing. The fact that he was willing to get on a plane and fly out of there, having given the caddy five thousand dollars on a one point three million dollar yeah. win, is unbelievable to me. I agree. The fact that he never thought, never when he was on the plane, did he say, "Hmm, that might be." I probably should have given him. More. He just had no. He he was so out to lunch that when he was asked about it, his first reaction, which was the truthful reaction, which is always the truthful reaction, was, "I'm not going to lose any sleep over it." I gave him five grand because I I promised him three, and I ended up giving him five, and he had no idea how that even sounded. Mm -hmm. Now, just so we know, and I, you know this. His normal caddy, which the guy does not deserve anything close to what his normal caddy would have gotten, he would have gotten one hundred thirty thousand yeah. dollars. He should have paid the guy fifty or sixty grand and called it a day. Should have handed it to him, shook shook his hand and say thanks for all your help and gonna. He gave him five grand. You're right. Okay. You're he right. Took whether and, and a lot of people. No, are saying, no, no, no. A lot no, of people no, are saying. No, let, me, let me finish no, my thought. No. Let me finish my thought. He did not take advantage of a him. lot of people in my no, world. He did. he did. Not. Okay, in my world, he did. A lot of people are saying no. because there was a deal. 
there's no he didn't do anything wrong because there was a deal in place beforehand. But on somewhere, I don't know where your sliding scale is. Mine is five grand is underneath it. I agree. Okay, I agree with that. I I, I just think that that he he absolutely took advantage of the guy if he was only prepared to give him five grand. Now let me go on and say a couple things just so I I get and then you can have the floor. Um, I thought it was ridiculous. The fact that he was oblivious completely to this, unaware. Uh, completely unaware, yes. is stunning yes. to me. Absolutely Especially stunning. Especially for a guy who is known to be one of the nicest guys, one of yes, the more charitable guys on the tour. The, Absolutely. The fact that he had no 100%. idea that this was way off kilter is, is striking to me. Yeah. Having said that, having said that, I will also say this. I happen to be watching the LA Open at Riviera, whatever they call it, Genesis. Yeah, Genesis. On Friday, when he was making the turn, he, he had finished 118, he had to start all over, and they released a statement via Steiny. Mm-hmm. They released the statement of the apology, and I'm going to make this right, and I'm going to give him whatever he asks, and I this was I embarrassed the people that, are, that have supported me, right. all of that. And I'm going to say this. I don't know if he wrote that, but if he did, and I'm willing to get, and I know a lot of people would say, come on, Mitch, Steinberg wrote that. Yeah. I don't know, because I'm going to tell you my experience here in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a great statement. Mm-hmm. That was a great apology. It was beautifully written. It was exactly what I wanted to hear. The end result was what I wanted to hear. The apology for not only the action, but his words after the action. It was all, it was absolutely perfect. Now, for the people that are yelling at the podcast radio saying, Mitch, don't be naive. He didn't write it. I don't know that. Maybe he did. Mm-hmm. Maybe Matt Kuchar is the type of guy who did. Mm-hmm. I want to believe that he did. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to believe, I'm going to choose to believe Choose that he wrote that. And yeah. if he did write it, and somebody said to me off air, Mitch, he wrote that, I'm done with it. Okay. I am, I, I'm still a fan of Matt Kuchar, if he truly, because people make mistakes, as we know, yes. and it's the, how you deal with them. And I think he dealt with this mistake beautifully if those were his words. And before you just assume that they weren't, now I know I am one one millionth of Matt Kuchar mm-hmm. in terms of popularity yeah, and yeah. appeal, and mm-hmm. I, I understand. Mm-hmm. But I was in a position that I had, had to write a statement not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I'll just tell you from, from where I sit. I sat in a Starbucks in Bellevue across from Bellevue Square, right near the QFC across from Bellevue yeah. Square. One day, my father-in-law was sitting where you're sitting right now, right across from me. He had no I He was working on his business. I was working on mine. And I wrote an apology that I wanted to tweet out. And I wrote it myself. I didn't take three or four days to write it. I didn't think about it for 500 hours. Mm-hmm. I just wrote how I felt. Mm-hmm. And then I sent it to my attorneys and I said to them, hey, what do you think? And they both sent back to me, it sounds great. It's exactly what you should say, whatever. We, we, we back you up on this. Mm-hmm. And so I did. Yeah. I wrote it. Yeah. It was all my words. It's not 100% that he didn't write that apology. Mm-hmm. So I would like to believe that he did what I did, which is just write from the heart and say how he felt about it. And if he did, I'm all for it. But the whole thing... It's just, to me, ridiculous. Yeah. The fact that he thought $5,000 was okay for this guy who carried his bag for four days and he won $1.3 million, I, I just I can't believe that he's so out of touch that it's possible that he's so out of touch. That's the way I feel about it. Okay, him. so can I defend myself? Of course. Because you, you, you berated me on Twitter. I didn't berate you. You did. I said beep, beep, beep. Yeah. Is that berating? You berated me on Twitter. Oh, okay. So my deal is this. 
we agree on the fundamentals of the of the whole deal. Matt Kuchar didn't do anything wrong at all. He had a second, make it third party deal. He never met the caddy before. He had an intermediary. He created a deal that said, hey, I need somebody to carry my bag. Who knows the value that the caddy brought to him? Now, this is a local caddy, so I'm assuming there's some, right? And we're going way too long on this particular subject. No, I'm not. But he had an intermediary discuss the deal and the parameters of the deal and said, hey, this is what we're going to pay you for, for doing this job. The caddy or the intermediary had an opportunity at that point to say, okay, we're great on the one, two, three, four thousand. If it's top five, we want X. If you win, we want X. It's a negotiation. It's a negotiation. Tell me you don't understand a negotiation. I do understand. Of course. Okay. But, but not all, even if it was a negotiation, it was agreed upon, it doesn't make it right. Fine. It doesn't make so it right. Let's, let's, I don't agree let's, with the one thing you said at the beginning, which is he did nothing wrong. I, I truly believe he did something well, wrong. That's and he not has, what I he said. Now, your first words were, Matt Kuchar did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong under the terms of the agreement. Nothing wrong under the terms of the agreement. What he did wrong was once he won, yeah. he should have shared that winning and that feeling and that euphoria yes. beyond the $1,000. You and I agree on that. We don't agree on everything else. I totally- I think we do. I think we agree on everything, but I, I, I think that he did something wrong, and that is what he did wrong was- he wasn't in touch with what he should do in the case of a but, win. Okay, so now here's the question. And he should have shared. With Here, here's the question. And now we're in agreement. We're saying we're in agreement on that. Yeah. What is at that point the appropriate amount to give? I think he did fine. 50, 60 grand, I think is fine. Right. But now I that- reached out to, to something that you may not know. I reached out to a few people who asked, I asked them to be on the. On the podcast, mm-hmm. they said no. Mm-hmm. I, I reached out to some players that I know, and the consensus was the reason why players are not standing up for Matt Kuchar is because they know that he messed up, of which course. is give the guy 50 or 60 grand. His normal caddy gets 130. The guy, the, 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 the stand-in gets 50 or 60. Call it a day, shake his hand, and leave town. That he should have never walked out of there with giving him five grand. That's it. All right, so here's here's I I got to go one more layer. Okay, one more layer. Sure. So Matt Kuchar messed up on the, and this is where this is my only issue. I think the contract or the deal was the deal, and I went on Twitter and you said, "Oh, you're backtracking." No, I agree with Matt Kuchar in the deal was a deal. Where Matt messed up was it wasn't a one thousand dollar bonus. Right. It, it should have been a fifteen, twenty, twenty five whatever, like you say, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 bonus. Right. I'm not quite with you on the, the number. That's, that's a, you think a, it should have been less. I think it's what I think if Matt would have walked out of there and gave him 20, we wouldn't be talking about this. We wouldn't be talking about it because he would have done but, something, but his, but his peers, extraordinary, but his peers, not would the say, point, his peers not would say point. 20 is not enough. Not the point. Okay. We well, wouldn't, it's my point. Well, it's your point, but yeah. I'm saying, we wouldn't be talking about this if Matt Kuchar just said, I'm going to do something way above and beyond the agreement, and it's it's multiples of what this person would have made as a local caddy doing whatever. Maybe not what the regular guy would have got, maybe not even half. But if he said, here's 25K, right. it's over. Okay. It's over. Okay. All right. We're done. We're done with that. <laughs> 
I think I don't know whether we agree or disagree. I'm a little confused as to whether we agree or disagree, but I think people now know how you feel. I think they know how I feel. I think that Matt Kuchar, I just I, I will go away from this hoping that those words were Matt Kuchar's words. That's mm. it. That's my mm. because okay. I really have always liked him. I've really liked yeah, him. Yeah. And I loved that statement. Yeah. Go back if you haven't. I'm not talking to you. If you're listening to this, go back and read Matt Kuchar's yeah. statement about how he was going to make this right and how when he looks back upon it, he knows he messed up and this is why he messed up and I'm going to make it right. And I'm sorry to the people, including the caddy, that I have stepped on in this. Mm-hmm. I, I love I love the statement. Yeah. I just want to believe it's his words. That's okay. all. That's all I want to do. It's episode 23. Uh, do we need to discuss who this who this episode should be named after well you're you're gonna go through the names i think you got to go through the names because it's it's the way we've done things yeah i I don't think we should change for anybody that's appropriate i'm just going to tell you that 24 we may want to quit after 23 because 24 could be a major i got a feeling we're gonna have a major problem on our hands on Mm -hmm. 24 Mm -hmm. i didn't think so until i was reminded who else wore 24 besides the guy that we love in center field for the seattle mariners Mm -hmm. there's another guy that wore 24 that arguably had a better career than 24. Arguably? Not arguably probably had a better career yeah. than 24. So we're going to, we'll save that for the next episode, 24. Um, MJ's going to win. He's going to beat 10 time all star NL MVP in 1984, number 23 of the Chicago Cubs from Spokane, Washington, or as Bino used to say, Spokane, Spokane. Washington, number 23, Ryan Sandberg. Mm-hmm. Remember Ryan Sandberg? Yes. He's going to beat six-time All-Star AL MVP 1985, nine-time Gold Glover, three-time Silver Slugger, AL batting champion. You got to love him, Donnie Baseball. Don Mattingly wore number 23. Mm -hmm. He's going to beat the all-time, or one of the best, I guess, soccer players that's ever lived, who also married a a Spice Girl. I know, Posh Spice or somebody. David Beckham wore, apparently, number 23. Uh, And he's going to beat... Uh, a three-time NBA champion, a three-time NBA Finals MVP, a four-time Most Valuable Player, a 15-time All-Star, who would probably have his number any other... If he had any other number, he would be an episode number on Mitch Unfiltered, but not if he's got 23, and that would be LeBron James. Uh, Because MJ, six-time NBA champion, six-time Finals MVP, five-time MVP, 14-time All-Star... Only 14 times. How many championships um, did he throw in there? Six. Isn't that right? Oh. He's not a six-time NBA champion. Michael Jordan? Oh, we're on Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan now. Yeah, yeah, thank we're on, you. Yeah. Now we're on Michael Jordan. Stay with me. Yeah. I can uh, send you a roadmap. Yeah. Uh, nine-time NBA all-defensive first team, yeah. Michael Jordan. So, no problem. Lock. Right? Lock. Lock. Michael Jordan. So, this is episode Michael Jordan, which means I did well getting my old buddy who's going to tell you how Michael Jordan spent... The Monday and Tuesday, the Monday and Tuesday between games two and three in Seattle. He was here for two days. Great story on how it was spent through the eyes of my buddy who hosted him. So it's not hearsay. It's, right. It's Facts. right there. Straight from the horse's mouth or yeah. one of the horse's mouth. I want to go over a couple of uh, a couple of tweets in reaction to episode okay. 22. Yep. And maybe tie up some loose ends if you don't mind. No problem. Uh, Mike Trombley writes... writes Mitch, it's very rare that I get knocked on my ass emotionally. You literally threw three haymakers at me with Ben Wheels and the story of you walking Bino home. Holy sh- mm. sheep. Uh, I'm exhausted. Throw in you and Jason talking about the upcoming UW-Washington State game at the beginning. Who? Um, Jeff Tarr wrote, 
You didn't give Andrew Tony of the 82 championship 76ers any love for number 22. It was really good. Loved wheels. Heard Ben Wright on the patrons episode. Want to hear how the opening song came to be. Still haven't told that story, which I owe you. Episode zero, you mentioned it, but you haven't talked about it. Uh, We'll get there. Uh, Nick Huntington wrote, best episode yet. Get Ben and Wheels on as often as practical. Bino's story was great. We all miss him so much. The Q&A segment is great, too. Jason Cormier wrote, uh, great episode indeed, Mitch. Loved hearing the Brian family story. You got to go back and listen to that again. Uh, I go way back. I think you have a good CJ story. Do you know, remember, you know the name CJ Silas? Add that to the list. A producer, former producer. Oh, I got a CJ. She was a producer of mine early on in okay. the morning show, 1996. Okay, yeah. 1996 during the NBA Finals. She was the producer. I got a great story. Uh, Larry Dickman wrote, Mitch, what I really like about the podcast has been your ability to make adjustments to the format. The flexibility you're showing is really tough to do. I'm not sure I understand this tweet. You can try to help me. We all know you could do the same format over and over, but you're not. Thank you. Do you get that? Is that is that over your head? That's over I, my head. I don't know, you know what flexibility I'm demonstrating, but if I'm demonstrating flexibility, I'll well, take it. Well, you're adapting as a podcast guy versus a radio guy. For now, sure. This is the radio show, isn't no, it? No, it's not. No? It's not. All right. Uh, the Bexter writes, a best of the best, Mitch. I listened to the Ben Wright interview as a patron and planned to skip through it, but it was just as enthralling the second time around, reminding me of my grandpa's storytelling and the laughter in both interviews. And finally, Matt writes, I'm still waiting for the explanation of why you poo-pooed podcasts all those years on the radio. You mentioned it on your first couple of episodes. Mm -hmm. So as I figure it in our final segment, I owe you some stories. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to go back to what you told me at the end of last episode number 22. Uh, I owe you a Sean Chabot story. You do? I owe you a John Jr. Feinstein story. (laughs) I'll give you... I'll give you Are both Are we really going to be able to get all this in? We'll get, and this is the last segment after our three guests, uh-huh. last segment, and I will start the segment with why I poo-pooed podcasts and why mm-hmm. it seems like the most incredible contradiction yes. that I'm now doing podcasts, but it may not be as big a contradiction as you think when you hear my explanation of why I poo-pooed, if we're going to go there, yeah. I poo-pooed podcasts, all right? Correct. So three guests- Four great sponsors, and then you and me go over those things. Okay. okay? Got it. Got it. Listen, if you're home craving great Northwest-style pizza, craft beer, cider, don't forget that Zeke's Pizza delivers. No third-party deliverer. It's Zeke's who comes right to your door with anything you want, including the beer and cider. Zeke'sPizza.com to order online or download the Zeke's Pizza mobile app. I think the 16 locations of Zeke's are perfect to watch a game and enjoy a great meal. I loved watching the Super Bowl in Capitol Hill. Have already made plans to watch some NCAA tournament games at Zeke's. I'm going down to the the new Tacoma location to watch the dogs in the tournament. If you're in the South Sound, I hope you'll join me. 1702 Pacific Avenue, by the way. And I think Zeke's Pizza is the perfect spot to take your youth teams after a game or practice to hang out and have lunch or dinner. I've done it a ton of times. Basketball teams, baseball teams, football squads, they'll happily string a series of tables together and provide a great environment for all your boys and girls to enjoy each other and some great pizza. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. 
called the Pac-12 hotline. He's been he's been covering the Pac-12 for a long time. I don't want to date you, so why don't you do it yourself, John? John Wilner is with us from the Bay Area. How long have you been covering the Pac-12? Oh boy, uh, since the Lambright era for sure. Uh, maybe a little, even a little Don James, I think. <laughs> All right, so there you go. John Wilner wrote a piece on the Pac-12 Networks. It's part of a continuing series that you've done on the Pac-12. Kind of just sum up the overall sense of what's happening with the Pac-12. Now, how many years has it been around? And give us a sense of where where it's at. Well, the Pac-12 Networks were launched in August of 2012, and uh, it was a very uh, unique, cutting-edge business model at the time. The conference did not partner with uh, Fox or ESPN or another distribution entity uh, and instead retained complete ownership in, in the networks and created a seven, there's essentially seven feeds. There's a national network, then there are six regional networks, you know, based on the geography of the schools. A lot of hype turns out that things are not going nearly as well as, as I think the conference had hoped. And there's a, uh, don't have nearly the, the distribution or the revenue coming in that the schools had hoped for. And there's a lot of reasons for that. John Wilner is our guest. The decision to, to entirely own the operation itself, which you called cutting edge, now that we look back upon that, is that the biggest failure in all of this, at least from from today's standpoint? Boy, you know, it's tough to say. Um, you could make that case for sure that if they had partnered with Fox or ESPN, they would probably be on direct TV and they'd be in, you know, instead of 18 million homes, they'd be in 35, 40, 45 million homes. Uh, you could probably also argue that uh, they'd have, you know, double the revenue coming in for the schools. So for sure, uh, that's a reasonable case. They they should have they should have basically followed the Big Ten model and and given Fox or ESPN fifty one percent equity. Um, you, but you could also argue that a hundred percent ownership would have been working better if they hadn't started the six regional feeds because that is what they did is they they started six feeds and they were contracted uh, with Comcast and, and others Time Warner. Uh, for 850 live events. So you're producing all that content. You're operating all those different networks. The expenses involved in all that are gigantic. So, you know, if they had done everything the same, but maybe only had one national network and owned that, for sure the expenses would be down and you could probably make a case that, that the viewership would be up because, they wouldn't have had to charge the the price that they did. So uh, I think you could say that the there were, you know, possibly two mistakes, at least one. The six the six regional feeds seems like a gigantic mistake now. Why isn't the Pac-12 network on DirecTV? And is Larry Scott standing on ceremony in some ways, not doing a deal with them at this point? Well, I mean, they're not on DirecTV because the bottom line is DirecTV didn't think it was worthwhile. DirecTV did not think that there was enough audience to pay what the Pac-12 was asking. Uh, and part of the reason for that is that 
DirecTV already had the Pac-12 in some regards, right? Because DirecTV has ESPN Fox. Mm -hmm. The premium football games are on ESPN Fox. And DirecTV already had that via their their deals with ESPN and Fox. They're paying ESPN and Fox for that content. So basically the PAC 12 is going to them and saying, yeah, you already have our premium content, but now we want you to pay us directly for our second rate content, which is, you know, the football and men's basketball games that Fox and ESPN don't want and all the Olympic sports and direct TV just didn't think that that content, the second tier content was worthwhile and certainly was not worth basically paying the Pac-12 double. So that's kind of the main reason that they, they didn't get the, the deal. And then, of course, uh, they launch and there's no direct TV. And if 50,000, 100,000 fans had called direct TV and said, I'm canceling unless you get the Pac-12 network, well, direct TV would have responded to the, the market. And there, there wasn't enough outrage why not so they didn't have why not to. john compelled john why not drop the price to direct tv to get the games cleared and get the games in more homes because then they'd have to drop the price for everybody okay. they have a deal and it's 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 fairly common it's called basically called the most favored nation clause and it, it says you've got to give uh the same deal to everybody John Wilner is our guest, Bay Area News, Mercury News, Pac-12 Hotline. He's been covering the Pac-12 for a long time and did a little bit of an expose on the Pac-12 networks and the disappointment. John, how much did uh, Larry Scott promise these schools when he went into that meeting? In large part, um, helped him get the, the biggest salary, I believe, by any conference commissioner in all of college sports, right? Well, his salary was pretty, when he signed up in 2009, his salary was big. And, uh, when he re renegotiated his deal a year, two years ago, it was a big, I, you know, I don't know if it was connected at all to that specific meeting, but, uh, he, he told now the conference, you know, officially the conference told the schools don't budget for specific amounts for the networks, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. So, uh, you know, we need to be careful here about basically spending the money before we've got it. But Scott gave a presentation in which, uh, he outlined three different scenarios and, uh, he was expecting at that point that they were going to have direct TV and bottom of the low end range was 3 million per school per year. And the top end range was about seven to 10 million per school per year. And they are still not even at the bottom end of the low range. But that's not the end of the story. So that not only have they not gotten up to the 3 million, which was the low range per school per year, you write in your piece that there that's kind of a gross number because there's a cost for each school to have bought back some of these games that weren't on television so that they could award them to the Pac-12 network for broadcast, right? So not only are they not getting the the low end, but they've also have have a hell of a cost. Each school has a hell of a cost to buy these games back. Right. That's kind of the unknown factor here for for a lot of fans. Um, and it, you know, you can't make a sweeping financial conclusion for every for all the schools because everybody had a different contract. But let's just take Washington, for example. Washington would have had a contract with, uh, I don't even know who it was back then, IMG or Learfield, say. And IMG or Learfield would have owned the rights to any Washington football game that was going to be on ABC. So let's say the Huskies are playing Idaho. Well, that game's only going to be broadcast 
this is, you know, 10 years ago, that game is only going to be broadcast in Seattle and it's going to be broadcast on a local station. Right. The rights to that game are owned by your Learfield or IMG. In order to get all the games that were not going to be on ABC or ESPN, the schools had to buy back the rights from IMG and Learfield. And then they bought back the rights and they handed the rights to all those games to the Pac-12. And the, those became, that became the content for the Pac-12 networks. It cost Washington money to buy that game back from IMG or Learfield. Mm-hmm. And that money has to be, because that is the content that directly became the Pac-12 networks, you have to factor in the cost of that repurchase into what, what they're getting back from the Pac-12 networks right now. So that's why I, the Petrol Network distributions are a gross number. The net number is much lower because all these schools have, you know, million-dollar buyback programs. Now, some of them, like Washington, Washington State, they they are out of that stage of the of the process. But other schools, like Oregon State, um, you know, uh, Arizona, I believe, you know, spending money to buy back that mm-hmm. content. So you have to take that into account when you're trying to get the real cost, the real value of the Pac-12 network. So, you know, Oregon State's not really getting $2.7 million from the conference for the Pac-12 networks because they have to turn around and be paying Learfield a million bucks a year for that content. So that's that's why you need to look at the, the net number, and that's why it's so low. So it's a massive disappointment. Let me get ask you to get into a gray area. John Wilner is our guest. He wrote the expose. You can read it online on the Pac-12 networks and the disappointment and the, the fail to live up to the expectations by the, the 12 schools. How about the quality of the broadcasts? For me, John, I've always felt like it, it, it looks like it's done on the cheap. Uh, from the names that they have, uh, the size of the names that they have, to the sets, to the to the actual uh, production values of the network. Is any of this a factor, do you think, in the overall disappointment over the last few years? Uh, you know, I don't think so. I don't really hear uh, – I hear some grumbling, a little bit of grumbling from, from fans, but I don't know that that uh, production value is really taken into account in terms of uh, the success. I, I think that the – you know – I don't, I don't know, no expert in production. I think it's usually pretty good. Uh, but you can, you, if you watch, you certainly can see that it's not like they've got Coca-Cola and Nike, uh, Chevrolet and all, all those, you know, Budweiser lining up with commercial after commercial. A lot of the commercials are, are Pac-12. So obviously advertising is not exactly uh, roaring along. And I think that's certainly part of, of the issue with the the revenue. Do you think, John, that the lack of exposure, what is it, about 17 or 18 million homes, do you think it's having a direct impact on the quality of football and basketball being played in the conference and also in terms of, you know, recruits and eyeballs to the product and then lack of recruits coming to the conference? Does, Does it all have to do with one another? Is it all tied together, do you think? I don't have any specific evidence to say that there's a direct connection. Uh, my, my guess is that there is my hunch is that, yeah, it, it does affect the bottom line and it does affect their ability to recruit. Um, you know, partly because the money affects ability to recruit, right? The money affects what you can pay coaches and it affects your recruiting budgets and it affects your facilities and your training and all that. 
the actual eyeballs themselves. I, my guess is it does. Uh, you know, the, if this is the Petrol Network is supposed to be the the primary branding mechanism for the conference and 17, 18 million people watching and seeing it, that is a ridiculously low number. If you, if that is your primary vehicle for, for branding your football and men's basketball, the other, the other key, you know, is, I don't mean to ramble, but I think it's part of the overall calculation, especially with football. If you eliminate the number of games that are on the Pac-12 networks and the number of games that start at 10 o'clock or later on East East coast, there's not a whole lot of football left. There's not that many football games that are on Fox or ESPN or ABC or FS one during prime viewing hours nationally, right up to, you know, talking about any kickoff from, from 12 o'clock to five o'clock West coast. The Pac-12 doesn't have a whole lot of games on the, the major networks at those times. Most of its games are either at night or on the Pac-12 networks. So most of its games are getting seen by a very small percentage of college football uh, fans. And I think that's an issue too. Last question for John Wilner, and it's the most difficult question. We're here talking about the disappointment of the Pac-12 networks in terms of revenue, in terms of eyeballs, in terms of checks that are being sent out to the universities and the impact that it's had on on the field and on the court. And you tie that to no team in the, in the Final Four in college football, a Pac-12 basketball conference that has just been taking one hit after the next from a reputation standpoint. Some are yelling, this is a one-bid league in the NCAA tournament. Maybe they'll get two. It just really seems like there is a downward cycle here to the Pac-12 and its reputation from an athletic standpoint around the nation. How strong, how solid is the footing beneath Larry Scott uh, at this point as Pac-12 commissioner, do you think, John? Uh, well, you know, don't forget uh, two, uh, two basketball programs caught up in a federal corruption scandal. Correct. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of between football, men's basketball, Pac-12 networks, money, scandals on the field, off the field. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff. There's no doubt. And to me, it goes back. This cycle, this bad cycle for the conference almost started a year and a half ago when ESPN did the cupcake uh, thing on the sideline of Husky Stadium. That's really kind of where things started. And then you had the UCLA basketball, the vandalism in China, you know, and and it just is kind of cratered. Uh, I don't think Larry Scott's getting fired anytime soon. Uh, you know, he his contract goes through the spring of 2022, and I've got no indication to think that you know they're going to announce in the next three six months, even 12 months that that he's uh, that he's out. That's you know the, partly because that's just not how these mm-hmm. things generally work. But I just uh, I don't get the sense that the presidents and chancellors are quite there yet. They may get there eventually, they're not there yet. And they also know some of these things are not his fault. I mean, it's not really his fault that Arizona and USC are, were on trial, you know, basically on trial in Manhattan. Uh, it's not his fault that basketball cratered in the NCAA tournament. So, uh, but a lot of a lot of the issues do start at his at his feet. So. Uh, I think that, you know, they're certainly much more engaged and monitoring, monitoring things more closely than they were. But I don't I don't see that that he's he's going to get uh, fired anytime soon. But he's got a lot of work to do 
to get re renewed in 2022. That's for sure, right? Well, you would think now, you know, with these things, with these executive type deals, you know, it's not like they're going to wait till one month before his contract's up to decide if they want to redo it. They, they usually are out on a pretty long, uh, long runway. So, you know, my guess is in the next 12 to 18 months that the presidents and chancellors will have to decide what they're going to do. So we've got some time. John, thanks very, very much. A job well done. We'll all read it. And anybody who's listening right now that hasn't, I urge you to do so. He covers the Pac-12 as well as anybody. Thank you, John. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Sure thing. Thanks a lot, Mitch. So that's the voice of John Wilner, who wrote the article about the failures of the Pac-12 networks under the leadership of Commissioner Larry Scott. Excellence. I know everybody talks about it, but how many people actually practice what they preach? I know Daniels Broiler does. In fact, it's one of the very things that makes Daniels Broiler so appealing to me. I love the USDA prime steaks, don't get me wrong. The seasoning, the fact that the steak's flavor is seared into the steak in a broiler that's 1,800 degrees. But you know what I love even more? The fact that every time I order a USDA prime steak at Daniels, a weight person comes up to me with that little small flashlight and asks me, have we prepared your steak to your satisfaction? That happens Every single time to every person who orders a Daniel's world-class steak. What does that tell you about their culture? It's simple that your needs come first. Daniel is not only there to serve, but to serve to your satisfaction. And believe me, if they haven't accomplished that goal, they not only want you to speak up, but they will make it right on the spot. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, located at South Lake Union, Leshine Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Hyatt Regency at 8th and Howell. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. This being episode 23, uh, and it's named after Michael Jordan, there's no debating that. I thought that I would call in a guest on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, an old friend of mine who used to play a little golf, a little junior golf uh, in the in the Seattle area, and you were pretty good, right, John Bracken? My old friend John Bracken is on the horn. You were the best junior golfer in Seattle, right in the nineteen seven, in the mid nineteen seventies, and the late nineteen. <laughs> yeah, 1970s. not really, not really, Mitchell. You know better than that. Freddie Couples used to uh, look at. I I got a lot of runner ups, and I got a lot of thirds and fourths. I got very few, very few blue ribbons. Uh, all right, so you've got a story to tell us, and I'm I'm excited to hear it again because you haven't told me this story in probably. 10 or 12 or 13 years. So I'm still a little foggy about some of the details. But pick up the story of the Sonics and the Bulls playing in the 19, what, 96 NBA Championship Series and how that changed your your view of the world a little bit. What happened? Tell us what happened. Yeah, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I've told it several times. Obviously, Michael Jordan is, uh, you know, was and is an icon. And, uh, you know, it, it was just a, a crazy experience. Uh, it was the 96 season. The Sonics were playing the Bulls in the championship series. And the Sonics lost the first two games on the road to Chicago. And uh, as I recall it, they lost game two on a Sunday. And 
so the next morning, uh, you know, the Sonics are down 2-0 in the series, and they're coming out for game three, which for some reason wasn't going to be played till Wednesday. And so I'm in my office, uh, you know, gearing up in, in you know, early to mid-June, selling sponsorships and coordinating the golf tournament for Fred that you mentioned. And I get a call uh, fairly early in the morning, 8.30-ish, from Lynn Roach. And Lynn was and is Fred Couples' agent. And Lynn calls me and he says, what are you doing this morning? And I said, well, I'm, I'm just working. Why? And he said, well, uh, I got a call from a guy in Chicago who is a one of Michael Jordan's managers and agents, and his name is Peter DeYoung. And Peter knew that, uh, you know, Fred was a Seattle guy and was wondering if maybe he had a connection because Michael wanted to play some golf in Seattle. Geez, Michael's out there. Game game three isn't until Wednesday. They're doing a little media day this morning, Monday morning, and he'd really like to play some golf in the afternoon if you'd be willing to take him. And I said, sure. And he said, you know, let me just tell you one thing. He said, Michael's great. He said, if you really want to enjoy yourself with him, don't ask him for any autographs. Just just treat him like a normal guy and have a little fun with him. You know, he'll want to gamble a little bit and just just play and enjoy yourself. He said, trust me, you're going to have the time of your life. And he said, I'm going to call Michael and uh, I'll have him call you. And I said, okay. <laughs> and so I hang up and I'm thinking, really, Michael Jordan's going to call me. Okay, I, I, how's this going to go? So I have got a receptionist, an assistant at the time. And so I go out and I, you know, Mitch, you know, how we are, we, we, you know, we all have friends that like to pull pranks on us and I'm no exception. So I have <laughs> friends who kind of spoof me every once in a while and I do it to them. And so the last thing I wanted was for Michael to actually call and have my assistant think it was some joke. So I run out there and I said, Hey, listen, uh, I don't know if this is going to happen, but if somebody calls and says, it's, and you ask who it is, and they say Michael Jordan, don't laugh at them. <laughs> I mean, just just say yes, I'm here. And so, sure enough, two minutes later, the phone rings, and and you know she gets these you know great big fish eyes and you know points and like Michael Jordan's on the line. He's like, hi John, this is Michael Jordan, and you know, what's your schedule? And he said, well, we got a media day. He said, do you know where the key arena is? And I said, yeah, I know where the key arena is. And yeah, I mean, it was comical. He tells me then, he says, what, what kind of car will you be driving? And I said, well, I've got a green Ford Explorer. And he said, okay, perfect. Why don't we just say 115, just come to the uh, player's parking and just tell them you're coming to pick me up. And he said, is it okay if I bring my buddy Quinn Buckner and another friend of mine who's a, a golf pro at Duke University named Eddie I? And I said, yeah, sure, that's fine. Now, is he going so, to have his golf clubs at Key Arena during media day in between games two and three? Does he have his clubs right there? Or is he renting clubs? What is he doing, John? No, no, he's he's got his – no, I didn't even think – you know, I was just sort of caught up in this whole thing. Is this really going to happen? I didn't ask him any of that. Yeah. Um, but as it turns out, he had his clubs. Okay. And um, so what happens is I, I, I pull up – I get there about 110. I'm, you know, I'm an I'm on-time guy. <laughs> And I, I get there a little early and there's, you know, there's cops all over the place. And this one cop stops me like, 
okay, well, you know, what do you want? And I rolled my window down. And I said, well, I'm, I'm here to pick up Michael Jordan. And the cop literally starts laughing. He says, yeah, right. Okay. And, and about that time, as I'm saying that, another policeman starts walking towards the other guy. And he says, he's like, you know, Green Explorer, are you here to pick up Michael? And now the, the policeman that I'm engaging with, now he realizes is, that this is for real. And he says, yeah, come on. You know, he waves me on and I pull into that player parking lot yeah. right on the side of Key Arena. And literally within one or two minutes, out walks Michael Jordan. And he's with a couple other guys. And, and it's it's Quinn Buckner and Eddie and I, his buddy. And they've got a van there. And uh, so he said, okay, uh, you know, these, these guys will follow us. I'll ride with you. So he hops in my Ford Explorer, and his clubs were in the van. I see. Yeah. He just said, yeah, I'm going to just leave my clubs there. And they follow me out. We end up going to Inglewood, uh, which you know Inglewood, obviously. Right. We had had Fred's tournament there. Um, actually, we were having it there in 96 and 7. We played it there a couple of years. So anyway, uh, we uh, we couldn't play Broadmoor, which is my home course, because it was, there was a charity event there. This was a Monday. And so I called Rick Adele, and he said, sure, come on out. So we go out there. Michael says, you know, how about we play a little team game and then, you know, I'll just play all you guys. John, I'll play you. What's your handicap? And I was at two, one or two. And so I gave Michael two aside, as I recall. He was a five, or, he, he was a five or six? Yeah, he was a five or six. I think I was a one and he was like a five. So okay. I gave him two aside. All right. And and he said, how about we play, a, you know, $20 automatic two downs or press when you're when you're mad or if you want to before you're two down and so off we go and michael birdies the first hole the you know fairly easy par five i make par and we're walking to the second tee and i said i press and he just started <laughs> laughing and he started calling me johnny boy johnny boy i like it i like it you know you can't hide this guy i mean michael jordan you know you just can't hide him he's so recognizable and so we're going along and, you know, all of a sudden there's, you know, five and then there's 10 and then there's 15 and then there's 20 carts and they're following <laughs> us. And, uh, and he gets a little, you know, he makes a couple comments to me and, and, and then he says, we're having a great time. And he says to me on about the 16th or 17th hole, he says, Hey, uh, what do you got going tomorrow? And I said, well, I don't know why. And he says, well, uh, you know, we don't play till Wednesday. You know, you know, can we can we play again tomorrow? But can we play somewhere a little quieter, if you know what I mean? <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, yeah. I said, I'll tell you what, we can, I can take you to my home course. It'll be a lot quieter over there at Broadmoor because, you know, the members don't have their own carts that they can drive out from their house. So, yeah, let's do that. And yep. he says, is it okay if, if Quinn and Eddie come? And, and, and would you mind if I bring my – my two security guys that are just fun guys, you'll like them, and C.T. and Gust, he said. And I said, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Now, now, what I found out, you know, what I did find out, and this is one of my favorite parts about Michael, C.T. and Gust had been Michael's father's best friends. Uh -huh. And they were older gentlemen, and they were, you know, and I'll, I'll get to that when I get to the second day of golf. But it was really cool because Michael just took it upon himself 
to employ these guys. And, you know, after his father passed away, which was, you know, I don't know the details of it, but obviously a very sad, traumatic thing in his life. And he just took CT and Gust under his wing and, and just said, come on, you guys are with me. I'm going to take care of you. You, you know, and gave him titles. And, you know, these guys at the time were, I'm going to say in their mid sixties and they were Michael Jordan security guys. Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, we had a great time off. We went, you know, I drop him off. They're staying at the time. It was still a four season. Hold on, which is hold now the- on, hold on, hold on. You can't get ahead of the story. What did Michael shoot? What did John Bracken shoot? What were the, the what was the money that changed hands? You can't, you can't uh, yada, yada, yada <laughs> me past that. Come on. I, I honestly don't recall exactly what we shot. I, I know that I won $80. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. But but we agreed that since we were going to play the next day, that no money would exchange hands. We'd just roll it into the next day. Did Michael Jordan that, break 80? You know, I don't think Michael Jordan did. I think, as I recall, I shot like 75 and he shot like 82 or okay. something. Okay. All right. Okay. I got okay. you. And, and Inglewood, right. as you know, is a par 73, so it's a little different. Yeah, okay. And and it's a hard course for someone who's never played it. Okay. Yeah, it really okay. is. Okay. Uh, so anyway, um, I drop him off at the hotel, you know, just pull in there and drop him off at the, what's now the Fairmont at 4th and University downtown. And he said, okay, how about uh, can we – can we, you know, just do the same thing? Can you pick me up at 115 in the same spot? I said, sure, I, I'm there. And so off I go the next day, and uh, the policeman's waiting for me. Okay, yeah, I'm not going to question you. I know who you are. Come on. And and Michael, Michael's, you know, he, I pop out of the car. He introduces me to CT and Gust, and he says, look, is it okay to follow you? We're in, in this van. You just go ahead and drive, and we'll just follow you. Okay. And I said, fine. Okay. We tee off. S- same group, Eddie I, Quinn Buckner, myself, and Michael. And uh, it was it was fairly quiet. We got up there on the first tee. No problem. We have carts. Yeah, I get I get CT and Gust an extra cart. Yeah, and it was a nice June day. I mean, it was a beautiful day, probably seventy five, you know, ish or more. And uh, CT has this, uh, you know, kind of like a track suit zip up top on, and I and because he's got a, a sort of a mock neck under it. And I said, Hey, CT. CT, you know, you, we're out here. You can you can take that off. And he said, no, John, I, I, I got to keep that on. I, I'm packing. <laughs> I said, oh, you're packing. Okay, well, you, you do whatever you're comfortable doing there. And uh, But those guys could not have been nicer. Um, so we play, same game. Let me step in, John. Did, did, the, did the subject of the NBA Finals, I mean, we're still in the middle of games two and three. They're up two games to none. Now it's the Tuesday. It's the day before game three. Uh, and a lot of us remember vividly game three at the Key Arena. Did the, the series come up? Did the Sonics come up? Did any conversation happen about the Bulls and the Sonics? did a little later but not not in very much detail i will tell you uh we did get to the sixth green at broadmoor if you can remember the sixth green and there's a home just to the right of the sixth green and, and again you know there isn't a home on broadmoor until you get to the sixth hole and the woman that lived on the sixth green comes out with a tray of lemonade as we're putting out <laughs> all with sonics 
souvenir plastic cups of lemonade, and Michael <laughs> did get a kick out of that. And he made it. He made a joke. He made a joke about, "Hey, you know, are you trying to poison me?" And we all laughed. And uh, she meant well. And 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 so that's the first time basketball or even you know the Sonics and anything had come up. I I didn't ask him a single thing. And and then we're playing, and we get to the back nine. And we're on about 15, part five, and we're walking. And now it's about, you know, I'm going to say it's 4 o'clock, 4.15, 4.20, something like that. And he said, uh, he says, hey, so uh, what time does it get dark here? And I said, well, you know, this time of year, it stays light till, you know, almost 10 o'clock, 9.30, 9.45, almost 10 o'clock. And he said, well, you know, what do you, what do you have going after this? I mean, can we can we play – keep playing can we play some more and then i started thinking and i did say so i said i'm like this guy's got a game and he wants to play 36 holes and he's got a game game three of the nba championship finals and he wants to play 36 holes really and so i said well yeah i mean i i can i'm gonna need to make a phone call when we get in but yeah i think i think we can do that and he said great it's just so nice out here i'd love to just play till dark so so now we come up and we're on 18 and I can see there's probably, you know, 30 people, you know, kind of on the right by the clubhouse just watching because the 18th green sits down below the clubhouse. And and as we're coming up to the green, he says, hey, uh, you know, do you mind if we just go up to the first tee, you know, why are you going to make your call? And I, I said, no, that's fine. And he says, and then we get on the green and he said, hey, by the way, is there a McDonald's anywhere near here? <laughs> and I said, yeah, there's, you know, and I'm thinking of the McDonald's right by the University <laughs> Village right there on 25th. And so I tell him and he said, well, I'll tell you what, he said, you tell CT and Gust where that is. Give them directions. And so I, I tell him where it is. And Michael pulls out a couple hundred out of his wallet, a couple C notes, and he flips them to CT and Gust and he he says, okay, you know, and he talks to him. I don't know exactly what he says, but all I know is he, you know, they were heading towards McDonald's. And so I get up to the first tee and those guys have already hit. And, and now I hit and we go off and we get to the, just off on the third tee, the par three, and here comes CT and Gus in the cart <laughs> and they have three bags and they've got cheeseburgers and french fries and, and they come right to me first i couldn't believe it. he comes right to me and he said here john you want you want something to eat yeah. i look in there and i i said yeah sure and i i grab a cheeseburger uh, and ct says is that all you want and i said well I'll, I'll get another one later and he says no no you grab what you want you grab what you want now when when michael and quinn and Eddie, I, when they get, they're going to eat them all. So you, so I grab a second one and, and they also had, which was, I was a little surprised. They also had a couple six packs of Budweiser beer. Oh, okay. All of a sudden then Michael lights up this big Churchill cigar and so does Quinn Buckner. I don't think Eddie, I did. They offered me one. I didn't have one, but you know, Michael just puffed on this long cigar and he probably had two you know, I don't want to exaggerate this, but two, maybe three beers, no more than that. Uh -huh. So it's not like he, you know, was out there getting looped or anything, but <laughs> I just thought, okay, here we are. Now we're less than 24 hours from game time. Okay. And he's having 
McDonald's cheeseburgers, <laughs> French fries, Budweiser beers, and a cigar. So what you're saying, and, and you're saying, John, is is that uh, he was showing an unusual amount of stress. He was really stressed out about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just. You know what? It just it just really just struck me that wow, this guy is some kind of just genuine fun guy. I, I mean, I really had a ball with him. I really did. And so now we're having fun and we're playing. And and uh, as the round went on, he asked me. He said, "Hey, are you know are you going to the game? To, you know, do you want to go to the game tomorrow?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I I'm I'm actually going." And he said, "Well, let me." He said, let me get you tickets. And I said, well, I've already got tickets. And he said, no, let, let me, I can get you really good tickets. Let me, please, I'd love to get you good tickets. And I said, Michael, thank you very much. I really appreciate it, but I've got good tickets. I, don't worry about me. And he goes, no, really. I, I, and finally, I said, look, at, I, I've got good tickets. He said, okay, okay. <laughs> so now we get, we're playing, and, and uh, I take another, I think I won 150 40 or $60 <laughs> off him. So over two days, not, not again. So, so he, he pays me, we're done. They drove their own car there. So now they're off on their own. I don't have to take them back down to the four seasons. And he says, geez, thanks a lot. We had a lot of fun and off they went. Give us a guess. What did he shoot the three days combined? What did Michael Jordan shoot the three, you the know, three rounds combined? He broke, he broke 80 at Broadmoor. One of the rounds. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what he was. He was a really good chipper. I was surprised what a good chipper he was. He putted cross-handed. He was a pretty good putter. The only time that he, he, he when he tried to hit it hard, he'd hit a, sometimes he'd hit a big kind of roundhouse hook that got him in trouble. Yeah. But, uh, but I was really impressed with his short game and his touch around the greens, which I guess I shouldn't be. I mean, great hand-eye coordination, obviously, with a guy that, you know, can handle the ball like he did, and a great free throw shooter and great long range shooter. So, uh, mm -hmm. I, I think he probably shot like seventy nine, eighty two at uh, Broadmoor, something Ten. like that. Ten. And uh, so he paid me like one hundred and sixty bucks, one hundred and eighty bucks for the two days. We laughed. He went off. And then the next next night, uh, Wednesday night, game three, the first game in Seattle, I had split courtside seats for the whole season with a buddy of mine and I had the tickets to this game and I took my wife and we're sitting there and literally like the free throw line first row facing the visitor bench and I'm looking the whole game I'm looking and right behind the bench there's CT and Gus. <laughs> I mean they're sitting right behind the bench the, the Bulls bench and you know I didn't see him or wave to him or anything like that you know I'm just sitting there minding my own business yeah. and right before halftime there's maybe 14 seconds to go in the half and of course the, the Bulls have the ball and they're going to hold for one shot and Michael has the ball and he's got huge hands and he he's palming this ball holding it you know kind of way away and Gary Payton and, and he's really about maybe 10 feet from me and he's holding this ball, and Gary Payton is swatting at him and trying to get the ball, and he somehow he gets a piece of the ball, and the ball goes, and they both dive for it, and they land right at my feet at the guy right next to me, and they spill his beer. And, and Michael is laying on the ground. He's two and a half feet from me, and he looks up, 
and he sees me, and he says, nice seats, Johnny boy. <laughs> and, and I kind of laugh, and then he says, little tougher game than golf, huh? <laughs> and, and the guy next to me whose beer he spilled, he looks at me, and he says, do you know him? <laughs> and, and I said, you know, I wasn't even about, I said, no, I don't know what he's doing. Cause I, I didn't even know where to start with a guy of how I could ever try and explain how this whole thing came to pass. Well, we appreciate you telling us the story. I think that uh, a lot of people in our audience will get a kick. Didn't, uh, didn't know the story of how Michael Jordan spent the days in between games two and three in the NBA finals in 1996 in Seattle. Great stuff. Thank you, John. Thank you for sharing with us the blow-by-blow description of your time with Michael Jordan. Happy to, happy to share it with you. Good being with you, Mitch. Talk to you later. My old friend John Bracken. On a funny two days, an interesting two days, can you imagine, with the great Michael Jordan. Have you heard that Mitch Unfiltered has a fourth sponsor? The truth is that I've been blown away by how many businesses have reached out and showed interest in partnering up with this newish venture, but I'm trying to be very careful to choose the right fit. And everything about the Northwest Premier Wealth Manager Evergreen Golf Call fits like a glove. Founded three decades ago, homegrown, headquartered right here in downtown Bellevue, super successful, spreading down the West Coast, offices now in Portland, San Francisco, and the Napa Valley. It's not a commission-based firm. It's a group that invests in the very same way as their clients, managing over $2 billion in assets, headed by Tyler Hay, who was voted one of the 40 under 40 by the Puget Sound Business Journal, and he loves hoops. He thinks he can play a little bit, but that's let's not break the news to him just yet. If you go to the Bellevue Boys and Girls Club and watch the kids play hoops, you'll see Evergreen Golf Call on the back of every jersey, and I just love that. A commitment to the community and philanthropic efforts. Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. It's been a couple of weeks. I've missed him. Dave Amon is our guest. We're taking a little trip into Brackettville on the Zeke's Pizza hotline to find how many days do we have until Selection Sunday? How many uh, How many weeks are we away now, Dave? I believe that it is four weeks from today. All right. Four weeks until the field of 60, I guess it would be 68, will be announced, as I like to do because most of our audience is in the Pacific Northwest. It's a Washington team that's split in the state of Arizona since you and I last chatted. And then they went off to Pullman and their rival, Washington State, and it didn't look good for a long time. But Washington came back in the second half to win that game on the road and improved to 11-1 and in the conference. So where, at this point, when you release your new seating update on Monday morning, where will Washington be, Dave, in Brackettville? Well, it looks like Washington is going to come out right on line 30, which, interestingly enough, is where their most recent net rating was at when it came out today. So it seems to be pretty on par, and sometimes that's an accurate assessment, and sometimes there's something that seems a little bit askew between a team's net number and maybe what their profile shows. And so it's going to be interesting Mitch, to see how that all plays out with the committee this year, because it's the first year, as you know, with the new net system, and none of us honestly can say exactly how they're going to view it. Even when they did their reveal 
recently, some of the teams matched up fairly well and some did not. So that leads me to believe that it's going to take on the face much like the RPI was, in which case it's primarily a sorting tool used to kind of evaluate teams and slot them, but it's not the end-all, be-all in the sense that your net number doesn't get you in or keep you out necessarily, but it, it, but there are some, you know, some points in there where it may be uh, – yeah. You know, too high if you start getting up there. Yeah, I urge everybody to go to Bracketville, uh, Bracket Guy Dave on Twitter. Dave Amon is the very best at uh, doing this over the last five years, at least statistically is. He says, Washington, the Huskies are on the 30 seed line, which makes them a clean eight probably the next time you put the full brackets together. Is that right, Dave? Yeah, they've been kind of hanging around the, the low seven, high eight for a while. Um, and, and so we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. Obviously, you know, as we as we talk here, Mitch, one of the things that bumped them a little bit was St. John's beating Villanova today. That's a big win for St. John's. They now have a sweep of Marquette and a win over Villanova, which are a couple of the type of wins that, you know, a team like Washington just unfortunately hasn't been able to get with the Pac-12 being down. So um, those things happen. Teams can leapfrog. It doesn't mean that that's the way it'll stay. So uh, St. John's, when you say bumped, St. John's actually leapfrogged Washington in your seating list because of the quality win for St. John's. And, of course, Washington doesn't get credit credit for a quality win uh, in Pullman against Washington State. You have been outwardly aggravated and frustrated, Dave, as we all are with the bubble the last several years. It sounds like you kind of feel like nobody wants to take control of their position. So let me ask it to you this way, and maybe there's no way to quantify this. How how far away from the bubble is a team like Washington? Uh, if it's a soft bubble and Washington's 11-1, and yes, not in a great conference this year, but they're still 11-1 and with no bad losses, it would seem to me sitting at 8 – that they are a good distance and have some real room for error before we start wondering whether they're in the field over the next six games. I feel that as we talk now, that's certainly a fair and safe assessment to make, yes. When you look at some of the other profiles, quite frankly, that we're still even considering when, and I realize every year there becomes a little talk of, well, wow, this is a weak bubble, and, and certainly there's always a bit of that. It's just in my 10-plus years now of doing this at Brackettville and even before, I don't recall very many times where we're still talking about teams that are barely over 500 or, in some cases, four to five games under 500 in their conference Mm -hmm. without some sort of mitigating circumstance being realistically in consideration for at-large bids. Now, as we mentioned, we got – about four weeks till Selection Sunday, hopefully some of the teams will do what I like to say, play their way in. We're already seeing some that are playing their way out, and then we'll get those few that will probably be right along the cut line, and then we'll see what happens comes championship week. And as I mentioned uh, early this morning when I was looking over some things after a busy Saturday, that I just have this sneaking suspicion that we're going to, see a couple of uh, surprises during championship week that could uh, 
throw even one more fun loop into all this. We're in Bracketville with Dave Amon, and you can follow it. If you want to go to his website, it's fantastic. I'm there every single day, bracketville.wordpress.com. You want to follow him on Twitter, a bracket guy, Dave. Uh, there's been a lot of kind of debate with as bad the reputation of the Pac-12 has, what Washington's upside. And I've been, and you're going to probably disagree with me, I've been consistent in my words and my analysis. Of course, we won't know what happens with the other teams between now and the finish line. But if Washington, say, in their final six games, four of which are at home, I know it's not against great teams. If Washington could run the table, Washington could win six in a row to end the regular season, post 17-1, and one, Dave, in the Pac-12. And let's say they even carry that through the Pac-12 tournament. They win another three games and they're 20 and 1 with a Pac 12 title. They run the tail. I don't know that they're going to do this. In fact, I don't think they're going to do this, but it'd be fun to discuss anyway. Without knowing what everybody else does, I still think with the bad reputation of the Pac 12 and all, if Washington puts in front of that committee 20 and 1 in the Pac 12 regular season and conference champion, conference tournament champion, I can't believe that they won't be in a conversation at the very least for a four seed or somewhere along those lines. You disagree with that assessment or you agree with that? Well, it's a very good question. And on the surface, when you're talking about a team that at that point, you know, just a quick map in my head, with which is a very dangerous thing to do. Um, you know, you start looking at a team that ends up being, what, 20 – Eight twenty nine and five, something in that neighborhood. Yep. Um, and to think that they wouldn't be in play for a four or five seed, this is where you have to start looking at sort of the reputation of the team and the reputation of the conference. Because, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. So you go up and you look at a team like Nevada, right? Yeah. Okay. So now. You know, they don't even have a quad one win to this point, and they haven't played one. Their best win is against Utah State at home, which the way the new quadrant system works out, even though Utah State has a net rating of 36 today, that just falls out barely outside of the quad one because it was a home game. Where if you look at a team like Washington then, who has played five quadrant one game but is one in four against those teams with the lone win being number 67 Oregon on the road this is where it just gets a little bit topsy-turvy in here so everybody's thinking well Nevada the committee had them on the four line when they did their reveal so in your scenario I don't think it's implausible to say that but I think they're going to have to have a lot of help to get there because you're going to be having to bump teams or pass teams such as potentially Wisconsin, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Louisville, Iowa, Florida State, Maryland, Mississippi State, Virginia Tech, teams like that. And so, yeah, Washington, I think, can continue to climb if they win. I just don't know if they can get all the way to like a four line, given the reputation of the Pac-12 and from where they started. And that may be fair or unfair, 
Um, and it'll be something to see uh, how it plays out. It might be unfair. It might be fair. It also may be true or untrue. We'll have to wait and see. Hopefully, for everybody who are Husky fans in this area, uh, we'll get the, the answer. They would have to do a lot of work between now and then, but we would get the answer. I just think from watching this all the years that I'm watching it, certainly not as closely as you analyze it, but I just... Uh, I don't know. I seventeen and one, twenty and one in the Pac-12 in a big conference, even though it's a bad, bad year. I I don't know. Twenty nine and five. That just seems like a good enough, a gaudy enough number for them to ignore a little bit the bad conference and put Washington in a top four seed. Anyway, we'll 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 uh, we'll we'll hash that out as it becomes more and more of a reality. If it becomes more and more of a reality, uh, Pac-12 right now, real quickly, let me ask you the normal questions. Pac-12 right now, one con- one bid conference or two bid conference? Well, I still think Arizona State is holding on for now. Of course, you know, as you know, they don't have an easy road to close in the sense that they have a lot of road games left, including a swing through Oregon, I believe, and then a trip to Tucson uh, yet before the season is over. So I think Arizona State, given their big wins and where we else on the bubble right now, still just on the good side, we'll see whether they can hang on here over the last three to four weeks. What were the, what were the ramifications, Dave, of Kentucky's week? Lost at home, I believe, to LSU during the middle of the week and then had that impressive win on Saturday night against the nation's number one team, Tennessee. What does that do to Kentucky? What does that do to Tennessee? What does that do to the top the top four, the number one seeds in your bracket these days? Well, Kentucky came into all of this as the number five team on the seed list and then lost to LSU and then won, as you just mentioned, Tennessee at home, which – you know, it's kind of weird in college basketball. That's why you have to be very careful about taking any one game and putting too much stock in it one way or the other. Because if you would have said before the week Kentucky's going to split, you would have thought, well, they'll beat LSU at home and lose to Tennessee. And the exact opposite happened. And you don't know whether they're looking ahead and then weren't ready for LSU or whether LSU played a great game, which they did, stole one at Rupp, and then Kentucky came out, you know, like gangbusters against Tennessee and just and put it on him. So Tennessee and Kentucky get to play again. We'll see how that game goes in Knoxville. So basically it's a, it's a neutral kind of a situation for Kentucky. And speaking of Tennessee, what the loss does most likely here is drop them to number three on the seed list, Virginia back ahead of them, which comes back to this whole then Tennessee, okay, as an example, would drop the third on the seed list, which means Virginia most likely would choose the south region over the Midwest region, moving Tennessee to the Midwest region. And then, of course, now you have to move Kentucky. So if Tennessee is number one in the Midwest, Kentucky cannot be there by bracketing rules. So that either slots Kentucky to the south, which would be preferred for them, although you have to ask, is the committee going to put Kentucky in Louisville as the two seed against the one, or then do they ship them out west, potentially against the fourth number one, which would be Gonzaga, because it would be very unlikely for the committee to put the number one overall seed in Duke and the number one yeah. two seed yeah. in the same bracket. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, speaking of the Zags, Gonzaga, uh, obviously number one in the west as of today. What kind of margin of error, what kind of margin for error does uh, does Mark Few's team have? Can they lose one 
one more and still be the one seed in the West, or do they have to win out, do you, th- do you suppose? Yes, they can lose one more game, I think, and probably still be in a really good position to be the one seed, just simply because they're going to have some very good wins still on their schedule. And, you know, I, I, it's just difficult to say, oh, you're going to be perfect and end up 31-2 and two again, which if they do that, I don't think there's any doubt they'll be the one seed in the West. I think they can lose one. Like, let's say they lose in their conference tournament, um, which goes back to that whole thing we were talking about earlier, which, you know, would throw a loop for another at-large team, obviously. But, but I think Gonzaga could lose one and still be there. Tennessee and Kentucky got to play again if, you know, Kentucky sweeps them, and then we get into a situation where, like, Kentucky wins the SEC tournament or they advance further than Tennessee, then I could see a very high likelihood of Kentucky being the other number one seed, and in which case, in, in that scenario, Tennessee might actually fall to the two line. All right, finish up with us, Dave. Bracketville, you got to follow. If you're into college hoops like I am, you're into bracketology like I am, uh, just a few short weeks before Selection Sunday, and we know exactly who the 68 teams are, where they're seated, where they're placed. Uh, we always finish this way. Give me, uh, since we don't have a lot of time, one team that's falling hard the last couple of weeks since I saw you, and one team that's climbing uh, in a uh, in a nice way. Okay, well, if we're going to just go with one, I would say probably Alabama, in the sense that they were in a pretty solid bracket position didn't have a great week, haven't had a great couple of weeks overall, so they're kind of trending in the wrong direction. And then risers, it would be hard, you know, with St. John's winning today, you could say them, but probably LSU to go on the run, the, the uh, road, rather, and win a game at Kentucky um, really puts them in a spot to jump from, say, the low five line up into the last three spot uh, for now so that that's a pretty good jump considering who you're passing we love dave almond it's bracketville uh bracketville.wordpress.com on the web he does the seed list he does bracketology a number of times per week now as we get down to the stretch run and follow all of his pearls of wisdom on the twitter at bracket guy dave bracket guy dave great stuff dave thank you i've missed you the last couple of weeks hopefully we'll catch up a week from now thanks so very much Thank you, Mitch. The best in the business, Dave Amon, Brackettville says, Washington, a solid eight with room to grow. Still six games to go in the regular season, maybe even nine, up to nine games before Selection Sunday if they can get three in the Pac-12 tournament. What a crazy couple of weeks of weather we've had in the Northwest. And when you start talking snow and icy road conditions, safety is Land Rover and Range Rover's middle name. You simply can't be in a safer motor vehicle on the slippery and dangerous roads than one of the many models at Land Rover of Bellevue. Range Rovers, Range Rover Sports, Velars of Oaks, Discoveries, the all-new Defender will arrive in the U.S. and Canada in 2020. You can't beat Land Rover of Bellevue. All I've driven in the last 12 years, vehicles I've either leased or owned from this great dealership, sales squad, beyond knowledgeable, helpful, but without the typical stress that comes along with shopping for either a new or pre-owned car. And you remember Dimitri from the Robbie Cano commercials. He runs the dealership to near perfection. A service department which is the best, whether you got your car there or not. And a pre-owned selection? Not too shabby. Just off of 520 Northeast 20th Street in Bellevue. Jaguar Land Rover of Bellevue. Unfiltered. 
Okay, Washington number eight. Yeah. According to Dave Amon, Brackettville. Number a solid, eight seed. A solid number eight seed. Yeah. He's not willing to completely dance with me that if they run the table, they'll be in the top four. But I'm, I don't care what he I, – I care what he says. <laughs> I love until, that. He's the number one predictor yeah, yeah. of brackets. And I, I, care, <laughs> I, care, I, I care what he says until he disagrees with right, me. Then right, I don't care about right, what he says right. anymore. Um, so there's that. There's the Michael Jordan in Seattle story oh, from my wait. friend John Brack. And you yes. just heard that yes. about uh, golf and gambling and drinking and McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> that if, whole if, thing. If, if, you don't, if you don't like that story, uh, yeah, check yourself out in the mirror. Um, and then finally, the Pac-12 networks. We just heard about the Pac-12 oh, networks boy. and the flop and the empty promises that Larry Scott has made to all of the universities Ooh, about boy. all this money. He told them, you're going to get this much. You're going to get this much. You're gonna... And they were jumping for joy, and they were giving him contract extensions and making him the highest-paid commissioner. We love Larry Scott. And now here we are four, five, six years later, and they have not one year has Ugh. he delivered upon his promise. And that whole venture, that Pac-12 Networks thing, is a joke so far. I hope they're able to resuscitate it and revitalize it. Uh. Resuscitate it kind of implies that it was once living. I guess it really wasn't ever once living. Breathe some life into that, mm. that sucker. All right. Three things. Let's check them off the list. Do it. Okay. Number one is I thought we've, have we not gone over the why I poo pooed podcast? We have. Podcast. You need to give a Cliff Notes version. I thought of it. we went over this. We, Maybe it was on a, it might have been on a no, patron show. We did it in the first two or three episodes. We did? Well, I mean, we did not. it on episode zero, maybe episode two. Yeah. The, the, the short ish story is I was never anti podcast the medium per se. Per se. That's a great way to put Per se. The part, the part of this thing was that radio stations throughout the country all of a sudden started podcasting their shows, and they were still reviewing and judging the success of their hosts and paying their hosts in some some way, shape, or form based on radio ratings. Yeah, they were doing these podcasts of the show, so they they were giving you a chance to hear it recorded on podcasts, but they were really looking at ratings to decipher the the success or lack thereof of the radio show. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't like that. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I'll podcast segments of my show, but I don't like podcasts because it gives people a reason to say, hey, we don't have to listen to Mitch when he's on the radio. Let's just wait because we're going to be able to listen to his whole show when we want to on podcasts. Right. And then every week I'm going to get called into the office and they're going to say, here are your ratings. Radio ratings. Right. How many people are Actual listening listeners. on the radio? And yes. for how long are they listening on the radio? And I just felt that to be a huge contradiction. And while other stations around the country and other hosts around the country thought it was great, and maybe they're right, I just thought I am until such time as they consider the amount of people listening to podcasts right. as a way of evaluating my performance. When that comes, I'll have a different decision. But until such time... I'm not going to just say to everybody, here's my show, but you don't have to listen to it because we're going to put it up here on the internet yeah. for you to listen to it yeah. anytime in its entirety, and there's no urgency to ever listen to my 100%. show. So I hated that. Yeah. And so now there's marketing people out there who say, Mitch, you're, you're, you're yeah, antiquated. You're not, you're, you're not growing the brand. Right. You do there, a, there's, there's a million reasons. And yeah. I may have been complete, but I'm just telling you, yeah. that was my thinking. Mm hmm as to hating podcasts. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I hated podcasts. It was the, I hated 
alternative ways to listen to my show while they were judging me almost solely on one way, which is exactly. how many people are listening to the radio show live and how long are they listening. Mm, makes that sense. was my issue. Makes sense. That, that was my issue. Yeah. So there's the, there's, check that off. I can On episode 23, again, so we don't, we, you know, we're on episode 56. We don't have right. to have this conversation. Like we, right. we never talked about it. I that. think that we may have done it on a patron show, but not ever on okay. a regular episode. So there's that. Um, Feinstein, Chabot, which one you want first? I think Feinstein. Feinstein first, and then Chabot. No, no, actually, actually, to me, no, no, Chabot. Wait, 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 because yeah. I, yeah. yeah, you know both or no? Well, you kind of know I, both. Well, I definitely know Feinstein. I don't really know Chabot. Which one you want first? Do Feinstein and with Chabot. Feinstein. Feinstein and I developed a relationship in D.C. before I came to Seattle. Mm-hmm. We were buds. He didn't like anybody. By John the way. Feinstein. John Junior Feinstein. Uh, Tony Kornheiser labeled him Junior, so we all called him John Junior, and he hated that. Um, Feinstein's kind of like this curmudgeon, hard to, hard to like anybody, and yet he liked me, and I liked him in Washington. We were a little bit, a little bit chummy. I mean, we didn't go out for beers yeah. or anything, but I was young, and he he liked me. He took mm-hmm. a liking. So when I came out to Seattle, I'd have him on. He was good radio. He would just blast everybody. He was always salty, always angry, and it made for good radio. Mm-hmm. And um, he was, uh, you know, a best-selling author. Sure. And he 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 was. Dare I say, he got envious very quickly of those that were also authors doing very well. He, f- he felt like he was in direct competition with other sports writers who did books. Mm-hmm. And he was very sensitive, and he probably had a little bit of an inferiority complex about that. So that led into a terrible relationship, apparently, that he had with the other famous uh, sports writer named Rick Riley. Oh, yeah. Do you remember Rick oh, Riley? of course. They, when I say they hated each other, the truth of the matter is Feinstein hated Riley. Riley just, you know, just kind of shoot him shoot him off like a fly. He would yeah. feed, he, and he would be dismissive and it, that made Feinstein hate him more. And I was friendly with both guys. Yeah. And so <laughs> we would have uh, Feinstein on on a regular basis. We pay him a few bucks. We yeah. talked about this in the last episode. Yeah. We pay him a few bucks and he'd come on every like Tuesday for mm-hmm. 15 or 20 minutes and make fun of everybody and um it was great radio. And Riley would come on an occasion too. We didn't pay him. And one time I was just, I, 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 I messed up because Riley started ragging on Feinstein. And, he, and I remember the comment that he made. Look at Feinstein's face. Just look at Feinstein's oh, face. Oh. He looks like he's always constipated. Oh my And I thought God. that was funny. Of course. I thought that was funny. And I thought if I replayed that for Feinstein when he came on the next time, that he would, oh, he, would, my goodness. He, would, he would have some sharp, witty comeback. Retort. You wanted to retort. <sighs> Didn't work out that no, way. No, no, no. <laughs> now, I'm going to try to keep this clean enough so they don't have to push the button when I do the iTunes thing publishing tomorrow. But um, when I replayed that on KJR Radio uh, for Feinstein, um, Feinstein hung up the phone. Immediately. The, immediately. Immediately. Just hung as, up the as, phone. As soon as you played the clip. Hung up the phone. He hung up. Hung up the phone. I was like, John? John? <laughs> Live radio. He wasn't there. And uh, I was like, oh, God, really? And so I thought this thing would just blow over. And I immediately went to break and got an, I had a message already, a voicemail on my cell phone waiting for me in the break that I went to after he hung up the phone. And the message went something like this. Mitch, John, I want you to do two favors for me. Number one, 
I want you to send me a check for whatever's outstanding that you, your station owes me for my appearances on your show. And number two, I want you to go F yourself. You know what, Mitch? Not in that particular order. <laughs> I think Sandmeyer was my co-host at the time. Oh, man. And then he recapped it. He said, so in, in summary. In summary. Go F yourself. Yeah. And send me my money. And I have never spoke to him since. And what's that been? A, a eight years? Ten years? Eight years? Ten years? It's 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 closer to twenty. I have no never. No way. Yeah. yeah. It's probably fifteen easy. Oh yeah. Well, I guess if it it's was probably Sandmeyer, fifteen yeah, yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. I have never spoken to him again. I've actually kind of tried, and he has nothing. In fact, some funny things have happened along the way. I can recall that one of my college buddies who knew that I was friendly with him in D.C. but didn't know of this problem. This incident. Was at the U.S. Tennis Open one year. Mm-hmm. And it was a few years after this thing happened. And he saw Feinstein and he's like, oh, there's Mitch's buddy Feinstein. Oh, and he boy. goes up to Feinstein. And he said, this is him telling me the story. Yes. He says, I go up to Feinstein. I'm like, hey, John, my name is so-and-so. You wouldn't know me, but you and I have a great mutual friend. <laughs> Mitch Levy. Yeah. I went to college with Mitch. Yeah. yeah. And he gave him that constipated look and said, no, no, No. Mitch is not my friend. And he walked away. Oh, Oh. Oh. at least that's the story I got. John Jr. Jr. Give you the business. (laughs) Give you the business. Wow. There you go. All right. Sean Chabot. So you don't remember, you didn't last episode remember the Sean Chabot story. No, because at the time that you told me that this story happened, I was probably either a senior in college playing college basketball. Yeah. Or. It was right when I got here. I think I was doing the midday show. If I wasn't doing the midday show, then I was a month or two into my morning show. Because I came in to do the midday show in January 95, and I started the morning show in May of 96. So this was probably right. Well, we were playing softball. So when do you play softball? Summertime. Yeah. So I would have uh, just completed my, my senior guess year. was this may have been summer, summer ninety six, summer ninety five. That's not even summer ninety five, summer ninety six. One of those two summers. Well, that makes a difference. Well, it's either I was in or out, but either way, I was not. I did not know the. When I tell about. you this story, you're not. People listening are not going to believe it's true. It's true. 100% true. Okay. So we had a softball team at KJR. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to throw my... I have a few things about this story that are a little foggy. They're not important to the story, but I don't want to throw the wrong people under the bus. Yes. You know, people who don't like me anymore. Yeah. But we had a KJR softball team. Okay. And we were playing, and I think we were playing in a playoff game over at Green... I think it was Green Lake. Okay. And... um. We were in a playoff game, which, of course, we thought was a lot more important than anybody on the earth. Right. 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 And um, as I recall, now, please don't hold me to these to these specifics, but I think I'm right. This is co-ed. Co-ed. Yeah. No, I can't remember. No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think co-ed. All right. I don't think it was co-ed. Our our KJR's promotions director at the time uh-huh. was a guy named Rich Moore. Uh-huh. And he would become program director and still is program director. Um, and as I recall, he was the coach of the team. Okay. He was also like the second baseman or the shortstop of the team and what have you. And he lost his cool. 
and started barking at an umpire <laughs> over something and got thrown out of the game, this playoff game. Okay. And we had exactly the right number of players to play, as I recall, this particular game. And our marketing director, young Rich Moore at the time, he got thrown out of the softball mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I th- I'm pretty sure he got thrown out. I'm pretty sure it was him. And so we were behind in the last inning, our last ups, and we were rallying. And there were like two outs, and then we all looked at the lineup, and we realized Rich Moore's spot in the lineup is coming up, and he's been thrown out of the game, and we don't have a pinch hitter for him, which means it's going to be an out, an automatic out. It'll oh, be the third out and no. then the end of the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and we're rallying. We got guys all and over got the base two pass. outs. We got two outs. So his out is the end of the it's game. game. We, 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 yeah, yeah. And so he's kind of on deck, or his spot is on deck, or in the hole, or something. And I and I just start going, oh my God, we're gonna run out of, we're not gonna get, we're we're gonna yeah. lose out because of the spot in the roster, spot in the lineup. And I noticed there's a guy that's got up against the fence, some young kid up against the fence watching the game. Just a bystander. Just watching, yeah. Like, I don't know who it is. Not, not related or any way connected yeah. with anybody. Yeah. And with Rich Moore's spot in the lineup due up, I yelled to the guy, hey, where have you been? And everybody in our, in our dugout is like, what are you talking about? Shh, shh. Where have you been? Come on, God! Like you, you know you it. You're late. <laughs> you're late. What are you doing standing there? Come on! You're gonna pinch hit for no Rich. Come way. on! And the other teams like in the field going, oh, hold on, oh, 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 wait a second, what's going on? And before you know it, I've got this guy in the batter's box. He's wearing oh, jeans. He's God. wearing jeans and docksiders, docksides, whatever you call them. Yeah. Okay. Boat shoes. Yes. And he's got his keys in his hand. Uh-huh. His keys. And I said, get up there. What are you? He's wait, wait. literally just a spectator. He's just You've never there. seen never this guy. never seen him in my life. And I say, what's your name? And he says, <laughs> my name is Sean. I said, get up there. Get up there like you're on the team. And he literally gets into the batter's box. And, and, and no one knows exactly what's going on. Now, explain it, this kid. Is he a young kid, young, physical? Young. Like, looks like he's no, got some thin. athleticism. I, I want to say thin. Looks like about 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, okay. He's wearing jeans. He's just hanging out. He can't believe what's going on. Right. He's like, what, what What? do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, get in get there. Get in there, yeah. And he gets into the batter's box, and he's got his keys in his hand, and he kind of calls time out, and he tosses me the keys. That's important to the story. Okay. He gets into the batter's box and proceeds to rope a double into the alley. And we come back and win the game. And his name is Sean Chabot. Oh, my God. Okay? And we're all going, going crazy. crazy. The other team's like, hold on, we yeah, protest. Yeah. Wait a second, was he on that? T- who was it? Who is this guy? And he's in jeans. Yeah. And, and um, we're like high-fiving, yeah. you know, sheer my man, yeah, yeah. my man. <laughs> right? And... I go back, and I think I was on the Midday Show, so I think it was summer of 95. Okay. I go on the next day's Midday Show and yeah. tell this story. Yeah. The story of Sean Chabot. And my producer <laughs> at the time is is playing the natural music. Yeah. You know, whatever that is. And I tell this whole story, and people going crazy. And before I know it, the Mariners are on the phone. I want to say it was Kevin Martinez. Now, again... Please don't hold me. If I'm wrong about Rich Moore, if I'm wrong about Kevin, right. it was the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, told the story. Yeah. I think it was Kevin Martinez, who I believe still, still with the there, Mariners. Yeah. He calls and he says, I'd like to invite Sean Chabot to throw Come out on. the first pitch for the Mariners. 
I can't, I'm not I'm not shitting you. <laughs> I I don't know how to say it any better than that. This did not. It happened. It happened. The Mariners called and the said they Mariners want the they sick- want Sean Chabot, yes. the pinch hitter, yes. in a Queen Anne or yes. wherever Green Lake softball yes. game to come throw out the first to throw pitch. out the first pitch. And this is like ninety five. It's either the summer of ninety five or the summer of ninety six. Oh my goodness! And I accept. I call Chabot, and I and I accept. Yeah, he accepts. Yeah, and before I know it, I'm in the green room in the Kingdome, whatever you call that room, yeah. with Sean Chabot. And his wife, okay, getting ready, getting the instructions to go out and throw like the first pitch to like I don't know Dan Wilson or somebody, Sean Chabot. So I Just tell ran- Sean, yeah, so random I, dude, random dude. So I tell Sean Chabot, I want you to wear jeans <laughs> and dark sides. You got to wear the, you got to wear, oh, you the wear same them. outfit, same outfit. Now where the story gets a little salty, the Mariners are probably chuckling if they're listening to this, is that Sean Chabot's wife had different ideas. She viewed this as, you know, my husband is a star, and you're going to treat him like a star. Oh, no. And she wanted pictures of Ken Griffey. She said, I'd like a picture with Ken Griffey Jr. I'd like an autograph. My husband, if he's going to do this, and she's in there before the game, making demands. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Kuchar-like demands. Right, right. Right. She's making demands. And I am ready to crawl into a hole Mm -hmm. because I'm like, these guys. What, what is she doing? The, right. These guys are putting her... Hu- yeah. He's throwing out the first pitch. Yes. yes. And what I recall is we we went out there. They drove us out of... It was like 70s night or something, and they drove us out of the bullpen in a Pinto, I want to say. Mm-hmm. He got up there. He got out. He went to the mound. They gave him the ball mm-hmm. in the kingdom. And just as he was about to throw the pitch, he calls time and he calls me over and he throws his keys. He had his keys ah! in his hand. <laughs> he throws his keys to me. Nice. Throws the pitch. Classic. And uh, the rest, as they say, is lore. So is history. So somebody somebody story. tweeted at you and said, "Tell the Sean Chabot story," and that's it. That is it. I don't remember how did I. So yeah, I guess somebody asked no, me for the Sean Chabot yeah, story. Yeah, you were asking last time yeah, about yeah. Yeah, the Sean. I had not heard that story before. People, longtime listeners of the radio show might might remember when Sean Chabot threw out the first pitch because (laughs) I got him into the game and he roped a double into the gap for two runs and helped us win that softball game. That's the Sean Chabot story. Love it. All right. Yeah. Uh, We we have to do. We have to do a patron show this week because we're finished now, and we didn't get to. Much about the Huskies. We didn't do cap and the settlement, the collusion settlement, 80 million bucks is what the report, what the, yeah. the, the, the whispering is. I don't know if it's right. We didn't talk about Joey Buckets from Chelan High School winning mm-hmm. the, the, the three-point shootout. We didn't talk about uh, – I wanted to talk to you about Zion Williams. So we got things I didn't get to in this, this episode. Okay. All right? Mm-hmm. So we'll do one. And you've got Washington on Thursday, Saturday? Wednesday. Wednesday, Saturday. Yeah. Well, Wednesday, Saturday, which will bring up complications. It will. Yeah. And especially with an 8 p.m. game. Oh. It's really going to be difficult. All right. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll figure. We'll, I hope we'll, you'll we'll figure, figure it out. It out. Yeah. All right. Anything else? No. Episode Michael Jordan is in the book.